This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, great to have you here. An honor, a pleasure, a privilege. A lot of stuff happened over the weekend. Quite a weekend. And got an early start today with some Fox and Friends morning, mornings with Maria over at Fox. So I've been up for quite a while. In buck time, it's like I've been up for many days. But I didn't get to stop all that much over the weekend because there's so much going on. Trump went to my old, I was going to say alma mater. I guess that's not technically true, but my old stomping ground, Langley, which the first few weeks you're there, you're just overtaken by how it is hollowed ground of, counterintelligence and espionage and spy craft and by month six you're like this feels like a bus depot get me out of here just kidding it's more interesting than that sometimes the work is the work is a a bit more interesting than your run-of-the-mill bus depot stuff not all of it probably Uh, but Trump Trump went out there to speak to the CIA workforce and this was his first post-inauguration uh, post-inauguration stop. I spoke to you a bit about the inauguration speech on Friday. I didn't think it was the vile Hitlerian catastrophe that many others in the media did. I thought it was exactly what Trump said he was going to say all along in the campaign. I don't see it as tremendously... Why would it be tremendously different? It would be quite strange, wouldn't it, if all of a sudden... The Donald ceased to be the Donald, and he took an entirely different tone and was saying different things. That would strike me as quite odd, I have to say. And yet here we are. Uh, he So he spoke about, well, I won't get into the inauguration speech right now. Let's focus on the CIA speech, because this is the, this is the story that the media will not let die. They're going to keep on this one for as long as they have to until eventually they reach a place where there's either a special prosecutor investi- investigating Trump or there's so much pressure that there's an, an impeachment movement. I, I don't know. They, they're, they're just not going to stop. Like a terrier with a bone. Not going to let it go. I like terriers. So this is what we got. Trump shows up at Langley. He stands in front of the memorial wall at Langley. It has the stars etched into the uh, marble representing fallen agency officers, those who were killed in the line of duty. And some of them are named and some of them are not named. Uh, it depends on their status at the time of of, uh, of death. Um, so it's the most revered site at Langley, but it's also 
the most well-known. It's the most famous. And Trump stood in front of it, and he gave, as commander-in-chief, he gave a speech. Now, there are a couple of ways we can approach this. We can look at the substance and the intent of what Trump said. And then we can also break it down and analyze the specific tone and verbiage and subject matter that was outside of the purpose of the visit. What I mean by this is, what was Trump's intention? What was he trying to get across? And then on the other side, you can do, is this a presidential-sounding speech? Is this the way that you think the commander-in-chief is going to speak when he stands in front of the wall of fallen intelligence officers at Langley? And Langley, by the way, is the name for it, but really uh, it's, it's interesting. Whenever you go back in the history, I'm pretty sure Robert E. Lee's family owned the initial plot of land where Langley is, and there's some connection there. Uh, so the, he stood in front of the memorial wall and was going to give his speech, and it was what I would expect from Trump. I, I don't think we really need to have people constantly reminding us that Donald Trump talks about himself and has a very different way, a different way of communicating. Here is what he said in part. Play clip one, please. I, I want to say that there is nobody that feels stronger about the intelligence community and the CIA than Donald Trump. There is nobody. And the wall behind me is very, very special. Uh, we've been touring for quite a while. And I'll tell you what, 29? I can't believe it. Oh, 28. We've got to reduce it. But that's amazing. And it, it, we really appreciate what you've done in terms of showing us something very special. And your whole group, these are really special, amazing people. Very, very few people could do the job you people do. And I want to just let you know, I am so behind you. And I know maybe sometimes you haven't gotten the backing that you've wanted. And you're going to get so much backing. Maybe you're going to say, please don't give us so much backing. <laughs> Mr. President, please, we don't need that much backing. Trump shows up at Langley to tell the workforce of the CIA and the intelligence community writ large that he's got their back, he appreciates what they do, he understands the importance of it, and also that it's a hard and almost always thankless job. That's what he's out there to say, and that is what he said. If you look at the reviews of it, though, oh my gosh, it was just people panning it, it was terrible, it was horrible, because... He talked about how he was on Time magazine, and he he went into some Trumpian non sequiturs. This is just the way he was speaking extemporaneously. As far as I know, there were no notes and there was no prompter. So he just got up in front of the workforce or a, a portion of the workforce and addressed them. The whole purpose of his presence there is to explain to all of them, to make his case that he's on their side, that he believes in them, that he will help them, that he'll be there for them, that he is on their, that he is, he has got their back. He said he's got their back a thousand percent. He said that he loves them. He said that they're the tip of the spear. And when you look at the way the media reported on this, 
you got like what's this guy Mark Halpern over at Bloomberg saying but what I think was most disturbing was what the president did at the CIA to stand in front of the wall of people who have made the ultimate sacrifice for this country with no credit because they're anonymous and to talk about himself that way I think that confirms the worst feelings people had people say there's a good Trump and a bad Trump it's the absolute worst of Donald Trump's personality he wasn't standing in front of it to to be disrespectful. He was trying to be respectful in the sense that he was trying to talk about how much he reveres the intelligence community's work. And he's also establishing the separation between the intel community, between the run of the mill rank and file intel officers and the senior officials who are quite obviously trying to take his presidency down and do so with leaks and do so with innuendo and smears. That is happening. That is a real thing that is going on right now, and it has been for weeks. Now, now maybe even stretching into months. That is a reality. So he wants to separate that out. Play clip two, please. So I can only say that I am with you a thousand percent. And the reason you're my first stop is that, as you know, I have a running war with the media. They are among the most dishonest human beings on Earth. <laughs> right? And they sort of made it sound like I had a feud with the intelligence community. And I just want to let you know, the reason you're number one stop uh, it is exactly the opposite, exactly. And they understand that, too. And I was explaining about the numbers. We did a... So he's out there to tell them they're awesome, and he's out there to tell them the media is a bunch of liars, and they're the ones that are, that are creating this narrative of Trump doesn't like the CIA. I know, I know the comments. I know that he said, you know, didn't they get Iraq wrong? And the answer is, yeah, uh, they did. And... He was fighting back in the course of fighting back against a, a media narrative. He also said some things that in Trumpian fashion were overly broad and. That maybe upset some people, but not really everybody who's working in, in these places. First of all, they all have their built in political beliefs before Trump even was president. People who work for God, this notion that there are all these automatons that show up at Langley and elsewhere, you know, Fort Meade, NSA and all these places that they show up and then they just have a, they're completely nonpartisan. And sure, their work is supposed to be nonpartisan it is it often at the top level. And when it comes to the product that goes to the president and the principals, the cabinet level and, and close deputies. What they see can be very politicized, and there are a lot of internal fights. I sat in rooms where people were unprofessional and petty and vindictive towards each other over what was clearly a political debate making its way, you know, making its way out into into public through the intelligence assessments that we were writing. That happened all the time. Do you, do you think that you could do an assessment of? Oh, I don't know. Let's just pick something off the top of my head. The effectiveness of the surge under the Bush administration. Do you think that there were people that really wanted that were John Kerry voters and, and diehard Democrats who weren't just a little more inclined to think that, yeah, that surge thing's not going to work? 
I'm not saying everyone. I'm not saying a majority. I'm just saying that's there. Of, co- of course, these things are politicized. But Trump was trying to separate out those two ideas. One, he respects and loves the intel community. And two, look at the military voting, by the way. A very important metric that I think doesn't get enough attention. You got Hillary Clinton, a former secretary of state, running against Donald Trump. Who gets more votes by the, from the military? I think it was close to two to one. So those who are actively serving the United States military, all the different armed, armed uh, service branches, they went with Trump. But we're always told that he's in the Russia's pocket and he's reckless and he can't be trusted and all this stuff. They just don't care what he tries to do. They're going to hate it. Do I think that the optics of standing in front of the uh, memorial wall at the agency probably not agree? Yeah, it was it was not the wisest move. Do I wish that Trump would stop saying we should we should have kept the oil in Iraq? Yeah, I wish he would stop saying that. I don't know why he thinks that's a line that he should stick to and we should keep hearing about it. But just go and do as a little experiment, have some fun. Go and read the online commentary uh, on social media from various journalists and commentators and then go read the newspapers online and everything else about Trump's visit, and they make it sound like Trump was taking bong rips in front of the memorial wall and was on a skateboard and just couldn't give it, couldn't give a darn when he's out there specific and said specifically that he's trying to show reverence for the community and that he really cares deeply about what they do and he's on their side. So shouldn't that be the more and he's speaking he's not obama he doesn't have two prompters he's speaking extemporaneously look i am completely aware of trump's flaws and shortcomings i think a lot of people are that do support it i think that they don't pretend that he's perfect but i keep coming and i don't want to always just make this always oh, better than hillary on really important issues to this country i believe he's more or less in the right place and wants to do good things. Will he accomplish them? We'll see. But we can't tr- we, we can't trust the media to speak honestly about these things. We can't trust the media to come out and give a fair hearing to the Trump administration and specifically Donald Trump himself. They were acting like this speech was the most disrespectful thing. You know, they they made it seem like Donald Trump was walking around you know, Arlington Cemetery, Cemetery burning flags or something. I mean, they really went after him on this stuff. And when you watch a speech, you say to yourself, okay, he, he wandered a bit and he got into some other areas he probably shouldn't have, but the overall substance was there. The intent is good and was proper, and I think he was making the right move. But it's just... They they won't let him get they won't let him get to first base. They will throw everything they can in his path. Don't even want to see if he's got some good ideas. Maybe he could do some things that would be good for all Americans. It is possible that could happen. They don't want to wait and see. They don't want to listen. Uh, you should watch this whole. It's only fifteen minutes long. By the way, mercifully short inaugural speech. Mercifully short speech. This should be the new norm. Twenty twenty or less from politicians. Period. This whole thing of let's sit through a two-hour State of the Union address, this is brutal. Under 20. If you're giving a speech and it's important, 
it's important enough that you take your timing seriously and that you keep it under 20 minutes. That's what I think. I have very few exceptions to that rule. So I do appreciate that aspect of them. 888-900-3393. Phone lines open, team. Got a lot of show to cover. I'm going to get into all the craziness from over the weekend. I, you just got to stay with me. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Trump administration doesn't always make it easy for those of us who want to have an open mind and support their new situation. Sean Spicer, who is the new smarmy smurf Jay Carney, except obviously he's not smarmy smurf. uh, The new Josh Ernest, the White House press secretary. He came out and decided to address the press and it was just not helpful. I, I can't, this one I can't see the upside. Wanted to argue with the press about the size of the inauguration crowd out on the mall. And he said, we have the clip, right, where he just, just play Sean Spicer. Good evening. Uh, thank you guys for coming. I know our fish, first official press briefing is going to be on Monday, but I wanted to give you a few updates on the president's activities. Uh, But before I get to the news of the day, I think I'd like to discuss a little bit of the coverage of the past 24 hours. Yesterday, at a time when our nation and the world was watching the peaceful transition of power, and as the President said, the transition and the balance of power from Washington to the citizens of the United States, some members of the media were engaged in deliberately false reporting. For all the talk about the proper use of Twitter, two instances yesterday stand out. One was a particularly egregious example in which a reporter falsely tweeted out that the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. had been removed from the Oval Office. After it was pointed out that this was was just plain wrong, the reporter casually reported and tweeted out and tried to claim that a Secret Service agent must have just been standing in front of it. This was irresponsible and reckless. Secondly, photographs of the inaugural proceedings were intentionally framed in a way in one particular tweet, to minimize the enormous support that had gathered on the National Mall. This was the first time in our nation's history that floor coverings have been used to protect the grass in the mall. That had the effect of highlighting any areas where people were not standing, while in years past, the grass eliminated this visual. This was also the first time that fencing and magnetometers went as far back on the wall, preventing hundreds of thousands of people from being able to access the mall as quickly as they had in inaugurations past. Inaccurate numbers involving crowd size were also tweeted. No one had numbers because the National Park Service, which controls the National Mall, 
does not put any out. By the way, this applies to any attempts to try to count the number of protesters today in the same fashion. We do know a few things, so let's go through the facts. We know that from the no, platform no, where the president was sworn into 4th Street holds about 250,000 people. From 4th Street to the media tent is about another 220,000. And from the media tent to the Washington Monument, this another This is like another a consulting interview people. question now. All of this space was full when the president took the oath of office. We know Who that 420,000 people used the D.C. Metro okay. Public Transit. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop the Sean, the Sean Spicer Express here. There are things that I can understand and see and, and put in context of Trump administration. When they go into the weird petty place, though, I, I, I don't get it. I don't know what this isn't a big deal, except now I, mean, I don't care. But why do they care about this? And now you also have the press all pointing to this to say this is amateur hour. They're arguing over the size of the inauguration crowds. What what difference does that make? And, and I, I'm left to be I don't know why fight on this. There's real stuff. There's bad stuff happening out there right now. And there's protesters burning limousines, and we're going to talk about the inauguration crowd size and and, a, and an errant tweet. I just, it's not a big deal, but it's just so petty and weird. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we are joined now by John Fund. You all know him well from his other appearances here on the show. He's a national affairs columnist for National Review at John Fund on Twitter. John, great to have you. John? Yes. There we go. Hey, what's up, John? Sorry, I didn't hear you for a second. I'm back. Uh, Happy post-inauguration day. Hope you had a good weekend, sir. Uh, let's talk a bit uh, before we get into the, the, the Trump tastic stuff that's gone on recently. I want to ask about a, a column you wrote in National Review about Ob- one of Obama's or, or you said Obama's final whopper as president it has to do with the voter ID laws. Before we talk about the media and truthfulness and Trump, what does Obama w- say that's not true? You got a quite a, a good example here. Interesting example. Obama says he's going to devote a lot of his post-presidency to fighting for voting rights in America. And one of the reasons he's going to do that is we're the only country in the world that puts up barriers uh, to people voting. Uh, And he mentioned voter ID laws. Well, every country in the world has voter ID laws. That's an industrialized democracy, including uh, those racists up north in Canada, Mexico, Britain, the European Union. And so it's one of the most preposterous lies I've ever heard because it's 100 percent inaccurate, not 90, not 80, 100. And was there any outcry in the media about this one and and truthfulness and the death of veracity in our politics? Now, I'm guessing not a lot. I mean, you wrote a piece on it, but I'm assuming this didn't make the front page of The New York Times, The Washington Post. When Obama says there is no voter fraud, which he also said in his final press conference, nobody challenged him on that. Well, if you go to the Heritage Foundation's website right now, 
you will find hundreds and hundreds of recent examples of voter fraud. Uh, now, Donald Trump, you know, doesn't have data to back up the claim that three million people voted illegally and he, you know, carried the popular vote. But there is voter fraud out there and voter ID is stopping it. And Barack Obama apparently isn't interested in stopping voter ID, uh, voter fraud because that's why he's blocking voter ID laws and has blocked them for eight years while he was president. What would have to happen for us to really know how much voter fraud there is? John? Well, let's, what let's would get, have to? Here's three things that Trump could do that Obama refused to do. We could have the federal government sue the states that refuse to clean up their voter rolls, because if you take federal money to improve your voting systems, you have to accept federal demands that you clean up your voter rolls. Obama didn't do that for eight years. Second. Uh, the states have been demanding for years to the Customs and Border people, give us the names of your legal aliens in this country so we can compare them to our voter registration rolls because we have academic studies that show when people are asked, 6% of non-citizens say, yeah, I voted in the last election. Well, let's see if that's real. Are they on the voter rolls? Did they vote? Uh, Obama administration has refused to give those lists to the states. Lastly, the tax system, IRS, they have a list of a whole bunch of illegal aliens who use their own name, their own social security number to get paid. Let's, let's get those lists and compare them to voter registration rolls. Of course, Obama has refused to do that. If we do that, we may finally have a sense of how big the problem is, which is precisely why the Obama administration refused to give the list to the states, because they don't want to know what the problem is because they claim there is none. And if we could prove how widespread the problem actually is, then there would be a groundswell of support, I would assume, it. to take the kind of... Me- like, I'm for sorry? example, when you register to vote, let's have you prove you're a citizen. That's, yeah. not, a, that's not a hard thing to do. Uh, people can prove they're citizens. They have to do it when they, get, when they take a job. When you take a job, you have to prove you're a citizen. Look, I, I, I hope that the Trump administration takes up these suggestions and, and does it. Uh, but we know that the left will will scream scream bloody murder the moment that anyone tries to do no anything. Voter fraud. Yeah, they're going to say that, that. That's I'm always amazed that they'll say there's no voter fraud, and I'll see this on a panel at MSNBC, some of these other places. They'll say there's no voter fraud, and maybe some some uh, meek uh, soul in the corner will say, well, well, actually, there was a case or two last year where somebody went to jail. So there definitely is such a thing as voter fraud, and then they very quickly pivot to, well, there's just not a lot of it. And then, as yeah, you point out, John, don't want to know we don't how know how much there is. Yeah. That's the whole key. Yeah, we, we, we don't See know. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Now, uh, the first week of Trump, we've got a few things that are happening right now, including uh, the Trump withdrawal, as it's being reported, from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, what what do you think is going to be the what's the most important thing that's on the on the slate for this week? There's some other regulations that they're going to be changing. There's some things here and there he's already taking action on. But what should we well, be paying TPP attention to? Is, is the TPP a big deal? It was symbolic because it was never going to pass Congress. Uh, what is not symbolic but very important is uh, Trump signaled last week that he is not going to enforce most of the provisions of Obamacare pending the final resolution of what's going to replace it. And that's a big deal. Uh, the signal is going out to everyone. There is going to be change. Obamacare cannot survive in its current form. Um, the marketplace is collapsing. The co-ops are closing. Premiums are skyrocketing. So Obamacare is collapsing. Something will replace it. And Trump is saying, I'm serious. Uh, we're going to have a health care system that, that functions. And I'm basically saying, uh, don't depend on the current rules being in effect a few months from now. 
Do you think that they have a transition plan already, or are they making this well, up as they go? With there's an excellent version of one that was released today by two Republican senators. One was a doctor named Bill Cassidy from Louisiana. Another one was Susan Collins, who's the most moderate Republican in the Senate. It's an excellent starting point. It basically has three elements. It says to the really hardcore left-wing states, if you want to stay in Obamacare, you can stay in Obamacare and watch your marketplace collapse. Then it says to states that are really hardcore individualist states, let's say like an Idaho, you know, you want to pull out completely and not be involved with the federal government and health care, you can do that too. Most of the states, they think, are going to accept something that's an alternative to Obamacare, which will be keep the best parts of Obamacare that people like, like pre-existing conditions and keeping your kid on the policy till he's 26, um, but create medical savings accounts for everyone, including people who don't even know they'll have them, you know, the guy under the bridge or the 28-year-old kid who thinks he's invincible. And when they and, and they'll be paid for by the money that would be saved by taking away the subsidies from people and by having the states rejigger their Medicaid programs, because most people who got Obamacare actually didn't get insurance. They got Medicaid, which is the health care program for the poor. So when you show up in an urgent care facility with a fracture or something like that, that's going to be paid out of your medical savings account up to a certain point. Then, of course, it will be a deductible. For most people, that's going to be improved over the current system because the problem Obamacare policies have now is I went online just to check the other day. Deductible, six, $7,000 a year? Unless I have a heart attack or cancer, I'm never going to hit that. So it doesn't, it's, it's insurance that doesn't help me, except, you know, for catastrophic illness. Well, let's have and if you fall on that policy. unhappy cohort of people that don't get subsidies to buy the insurance, it actually you don't can get, be pretty pricey, too. Okay, it could be $1,000 a month. <laughs> and that's for like a $2,000 deductible. You know, you want to get a, a $5,000 deductible? Uh, you know, you're still going to be paying like six or seven hundred in states like New Jersey or New York. Yeah, it's not. It's not way, a good plan. But... Counties, thirty percent of counties in this country, Buck. There's only one choice for health care in those exchanges. One choice. That's not competition. That's called strangulation. If Trump approves that, he'll be he'll be making some some big and important strides. What do you see on immigration? By the way, that's gotten some play in the press, but not a lot of specifics so far. Well, apparently he's going to delay the exec, appeal, repealing the executive order that kept the Dreamers, the kids who were here, brought to this country, were born here, brought by their parents, as, and have grown up here as minor children. He's going to defer that until he works out a bigger solution with other immigration problems. Uh, I think he's going to start building the wall. Congress has already appropriated the money for the wall, so nothing new has to be done on that. Uh, I think he's going to move f firmly but judiciously. I don't think he's going to be scaring a lot of people. Uh, most of what he's going to be doing is enforcing the existing law, especially the law, which should have been enforced all along. If you commit a crime in this country, we're going to deport you. No questions asked. You commit a crime, you're convicted of it, you're gone. He also met with business leaders this morning. I saw some of the, the, uh, the, the meeting that was televised and said that he may be cutting Im uh, regulations by 75% or more. Whether his numbers are accurate, do you, do you think that they're – do you think well, that he's going to be able, which seems like a lot, but is Trump, there... Trump does exaggerate. <laughs> yeah, he does exaggerate, but is is he going to slash and burn on the regulation side of things in, in a well, good way? There, 
there are a lot of things that have been holding back job growth and creating uncertainty in the economy. You know, one thing people will not do in an uncertain economy where they think the regulatory burden is constantly going to grow and sprout up in areas they haven't anticipated is they're not going to invest. And one of the things that Trump wants to do is create a climate of certainty. These are the regulations These regu- that are going to be in place. You better obey them. These are the regulations that don't make sense. We're going to get rid of them. These are the regulations that will not be coming online in the future because I have a different approach. And so therefore, you can have some certainty. Therefore, go invest, go create jobs, and let's start growing this economy. John Fonda is a national affairs columnist for National Review. John, anywhere else you want to direct people, a site, a book, an article? Nationalreview.com has an archive of all of my pieces. That's a good place to start. And um, they can also um, go to the Wall Street Journal last week. I had a piece on Obama's um, scandalous administration, the one he claims, of course, was scandal-free. That was in Tuesday's Wall Street Journal. You can call it up on Google. Fantastic. John, thanks for joining us. And team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. So I'm going to uh, reevaluate for a second here. Just came upon a piece by our friend Sean Davis over at The Federalist, uh, Federalist.com. And Sean points out that the bust of Martin Luther King's story, the way that Spicer said it, he says there was a tweet. Well, it was a tweet by a journalist from Time Magazine that then got picked up as a news story, which I, I will say i will admit on that i did not know that it was picked up as a news story by a number of of outlets it was spread by think uh, oh no i'm sorry pardon me no no i was right it was retweeted but it was retweeted by a lot of other journalists which gives it the veneer of truth it was spread by a think progress editor a newsweek writer a buzzfeed editor a washington post columnist so a lot of accounts with people that are so-called journalists spread that as though it were true this brings me back to a thesis that i've been hitting with you in recent weeks at what point is reckless news fake news i think that they keep relying on the oh well we just jumped on the story too quickly because we liked it that doesn't mean that it's fake news at some point you're culpable in a way that it goes beyond at some point it is intentional propaganda even if you didn't fabricate it but to use it is a form of propaganda unto itself. I don't see... So on the bust of Churchill thing, or sorry, the bust of Martin Luther King, I I do see why... Although I don't think it was necessarily the venue for it, but Spicer coming out on that one the way he did, it makes a little more sense to me now. I didn't realize it had gotten such uh, such widespread uh, widespread sharing on the on the web. On the crowd size thing, I just my impression of it is that they're playing into the Democrats' hands with that by making it seem like they're petty and this is all oh Trump always talks about how successful he is and how big his hands are and how big his hotels are and how it plays into that whether that's really fair or not. I also just don't I just don't think anybody cares how many people are at an inauguration. 
I, I, the same way that we shouldn't care how many people are at a protest. There are a million people protesting Trump. Great. There are 60 million people who voted for him. I don't care there are a million people who protested Trump or 200,000 or whatever it was. Never mind the protests in the streets, which we'll be talking about a bit more coming up later in the show. But that, so I'll, I'll amend that a little bit. The Spicer on the busts, and it was such a, and I, I had to tip my, uh, Sean Davis for pointing this out. It was such a gross error. In both senses of the word gross. It was such an obvious thing. You're not going to ask the White House or anybody who works there or, or or even try to just look around the room thoroughly before you before you make that claim. Then the back off from that from a Time magazine journalist is that a Secret Service member was standing in front of it. That's pretty weak sauce. Really weak sauce. And that's not you see that they're not good faith errors. They're anti Trump errors. And there are far too many of them for this to be a coincidence. While that may seem like a small thing, it just also ties into the narrative of he's a Trump is a racist. He's such a bad guy. He got rid of the MLK bus. You see how it all goes. You see all of that. So I okay Spicer on that one, but the, on the on the crowd thing, it just looked it the optics of it were not strong, and I don't think it's a place where we should be putting a lot of energy to fight over who had a bigger crowd. I would be willing to bet Obama in two thousand and nine probably had a bigger crowd, but I also don't care. Nobody should really care. Parades and inaugurations, not my bag. Do not care. Do not really understand. What is what all the hullabaloo is about? It's not my thing. So there's that. Uh, we'll be talking a bit more about all things uh, media and Trump, including this video of a woman on a plane that we'll play the audio from it. I wish the video is not great. The audio is all you really need. But there is a very commonplace sentiment now that anti-Trump people can just say whatever the heck they want and be as nasty as they want to anybody who's even open-minded towards Trump. Never mind went to the inauguration and celebrated it. This is a real disease of the mind that's going around, and it is the progressives that are suffering from it. But we're the ones who suffer because of it. More coming. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.